Welcome back. Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast, where we talk with some of the fastest known people. Today, of course, is no exception. Are you still with me, folks? I hope so, because we are talking with the king of the 14ers. Who am I speaking with? This person had the Colorado 14ers record twice. Nolan's 14, southbound and northbound. California 14ers. Nolan's 14 again. I hope you're guessing who I'm speaking with, but I'll let him say hello right now. Are you indeed the king of the 14ers? Uh, well, I don't know about that, but but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have spent a lot of time on the 14ers and I've climbed them many times in many conditions. Um, but yeah, anyway, my name is Andrew Hamilton. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for putting up with my little joke there. But we go <laughs> back. We've known, I mean, you did the self-powered Colorado 14ers, which was all... Oh, I'm not sure. This was 2003. Was it 54, 56? It kind of fluctuates the number in 2003. And uh, I met you coming down your last one at Long's Peak. Do you recall that? Yeah. Although, you know, when you met me, that was actually 99. That was oh. when I, had, I was doing my very first ever uh, 14er like speed record. And, uh, and that was not the self-powered one. But, but I'll never forget, you know, I'm coming down in this like it was like a hailstorm up there and I get down to the keyhole. It's the middle of the night. I don't remember what time, but, and there's someone there, you know, I was just like, what are you doing here? You know, who are you? And you're like, Oh, I'm buzz, you know? And uh, that's where we met for the first time. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was pretty cool. It was cool. You were looked a little tired at that point, yeah. but you were moving well. I appreciated your technology at that time. Like you said, that was, uh, wow, 99. Thank you for that. That's, wow, 22 years ago. We do go back. But your technology at the time was impressive because you were coming down using your altimeter on your watch so you knew when to cut over to the keyhole and not descend the trough because it was, you know, a storm. It was at night. It was on Long's Peak. So you, you were demonstrating real alacrity for this. I, I think about that a lot, you know, and, and I've been on uh, longs again and, you know, those, uh, you know, they have those bullseyes and there's a critical spot as you're descending longs where you're on a uh, part of the descent called the home stretch and you, you know, you don't want to miss this right turn you got to take. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, as I was going up in a hailstorm, I just happened to you know, be like, Hey, I should, you know, make note of the elevation. And, uh, it was a good move because, you know, it was a whiteout. It's hard to find the bullseyes. And, uh, you know, that's a common mistake people do make is they miss that turn. And, and then you're kind of like, you know, you're kind of screwed, you know, honestly, if, if you miss that turn. So, and I was, you know, it was funny because it's even now that I have better technology, we were coming down just, you know, you know, last week when we were finishing up the Centennials record and, you know, now I've got my phone, so it's a lot easier, but, um, uh, but yeah, I was just thinking back to that that time when if I hadn't made note of the elevation, I might have been in big trouble just because there was no visibility. Wow. We remember this exactly the same yeah. 22 years later. Yeah. <laughs> this is good. This yeah. is good. I, I wonder if I could find that picture of you laying down on your back at the trailhead. All right. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are conversing here because you just submitted. It's not on the website yet a new, actually you submitted three, you submitted three FKTs in one day, all from the same <laughs> giant, humongous project. Basically, you did the highest hundred, the, uh, as you call the centennial peaks. So I'm going to fill in a little background here. Obviously, Colorado has 
uh, peaks, notably over 14,000 feet in elevation, somewhere between 54 and 58, depending on how you count. California is 14, Washington is one. And you didn't do that. Well, you did those. Plus, you did total the highest 100 peaks, which is obviously 100. But uh, in ways we're going to get into in a second here, you actually did a little bit more than 100. You piled a few more on because you are you. So there's a lot to talk about here. This is a big deal. And we're looking at your FKT submission, and it's 22-16-54. And, of course, you look at that, you go, wait, that's 22 days, <laughs> 16 <laughs> hours, 54 yeah. minutes. So – Big project there, Andrew. Yeah. And, you know, originally, you know, I've been working on this for several years. It's like, you know, because, you know, the 14ers are, I, I know them pretty well. You know, I've, I've set the speed record for that and I've, you know, done that multiple times. Um, but the Centennials, I've, I haven't spent that as much time on over my lifetime. And, and they're really neat mountains. You know, they're just, if you're looking for what 14ers were like, maybe, you know, in the past, that's what these centennials are. You know, they're great mountains. They're not as busy. You know, I've heard a lot of people refer to the 14ers as like a circus now. You know, people want to go to Montana, you know, because they're trying to get away from the crowds, you know, and, and it, it's true on a lot of these 14ers. And, you know, uh, it really, there are a lot of people. And so the centennials are just neat because you can actually get out there and get away from people. Um, but at the same time, the routes aren't quite as well developed. And so it, uh, you know, it takes some studying in order to, to find good ways to link them up, you know. So for the last like five years, you know, we've been, you know, some of my family trips in the summer, they've all sort of, you know, well, we're going to go to this area and check out these 13ers and stuff like that. And so I've had this, I had this idea in my head of like the centennials in under 20 days. And uh, I even had an 18 day plan, but, but that was like, I had a couple of days on there and I now know they were completely ridiculous days like that, <laughs> that they were not going to happen. But, uh, but I still, you know, my, I was still hoping for like to beat 20 days. You know, I like to go after these, you know, round numbers, you know, beat 10 days for the 14 er record and, and stuff like that. Um, but I, so, so I didn't quite make it, but we just ran into so much stuff on this record attempt so many problems and uh, i mean that we dealt with i am so ecstatic with that 22 and a half days you know i will take it <laughs> you know well like a lot of your trips um people don't tend to go after it after you've done it now, the 14ers of course they did 14ers became quite competitive and the nolans you had like like i started off by saying the record for the southbound and the northbound and holy nolans adding in mount of holy cross and then those were broken. You went back and did um, again self-supported. And you, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm stammering for words here. You were nominated for the FKT of the Year award, and also, hey, here's a cool little uh, footnote. You are uh, the cover of the fastest known time homepage. This is a trivia question. So I am talking with the person who. You, you're seeing his back on the cover of the homepage. So that's another thing you are kind of, well, now you will forever, forever be known for. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's uh, from Mount Albert on uh, that picture is from Mount Albert in the 2015 record. 
And uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that just as uh, Charlie Nettleman and I were, were running down there and he snapped that picture and it's a pretty good action shot, you know? It is. It's, it's it kind of pictures are worth a thousand words. And um, going back as we do, I was also with Rick and Ricky, you know, Rick Trujillo and Ricky Denisek. When they did, they, they did it twice. They did the Colorado 14ers record and I met them both on Long Speak also. And they were different. They were fast. And you and I have talked about this before. They're frankly faster than you. But you are a master of, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, is you have this extraordinary ability to not sleep. And you have this extraordinary ability to be in really high, wild places alone at night. And now you've demonstrated extraordinary level of route planning and logistics. And I think you've said to me before, you're not the fastest guy. What do you think? Oh, I mean, without a doubt. Like, I mean, you know, for the most part, most of the records you keep track of on the FKT, I mean, I would never even be anywhere near, you know, being able to compete. I'm just, I'm not a fast, I'm not a runner for one, you know. Um, I remember, you know, you you actually made a great article after you met me in 99, and I think it, it started off with some some saying like Hamilton is the least fit person I've never <laughs> known to try something like this, you know. And I didn't, you know, it, it all meant in in a good way. For some reason, I just like I don't know what it is about me. I can just suffer and keep going, you know, and <laughs> and and keep going. And and you know, this last record wasn't as much about sleep deprivation. I mean, unfortunately about a third of the nights it, it did become about that. But the plan was to get sleep every night because, you know, when you're doing, you know, the 14 er record, it's like nine days and, you know, and that's like this death march, you know, you're just trying to survive till the last day. But I can't imagine maintaining that sort of like style, you know, without sleeping, except when you're getting driven from peak to peak for 20 days. Right. So this time it was going to be sustainable, you know, four hours of sleep every night, but it did turn into kind of a mess, you know, just things were taking longer than expected. So I was spending the whole night out there. But but yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, my thing has always just been, I can go out there and just keep going, you know, when I'm going really slow, the conditions are terrible, but I just keep going, you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I just hiking up longs, you know, we were going up with this uh, Max Manson, he's this uh, kid I met when he was a kid in the mountains with his dad and uh, now he's you know going to Stanford on a full ride you know pole vaulting scholarship he's super super good athlete and you know he's really up to date on all the longs peak records and it literally just blows your mind away when you f the guy that's got the current FKT for longs can get down the entire descent in like 38 minutes I mean that just I mean I would never be able to do that you know and, uh, and so, so yeah, that's not a strength and actually going back to the Rickies is kind of interesting because, you know, people have done some big stat comparisons, you know, and, uh, and looking back at those guys, they're actually an entire day faster, you know, in terms of the hiking. So if you look at their times, if you look at the times they spent hiking and the times they spent not hiking, they were an entire day faster in terms of their speed on the mountains. But I was four days faster in terms of the logistics, you know, 
And that's really wow. That, that's yeah. wow. So this, as you know, there's a lot of it's like almost like baseball. There's statisticians out there, and that's an amazing stat. So they looked at Rick and Ricky's hiking times, and they were a whole day faster than your on foot times, but your logistics were four days faster than theirs. Right, right. Wow. You know, and 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 when they were doing it, you know, it really took Cave Dog. Cave Dog, he came in and he set the record right after Ricky had sort of set it for the second time. And uh and he's the one that sort of like just redefined the whole thing as there's no more just here's, you know, one day you hike a bunch of mountains really fast and then you go get dinner, you sleep and then you drive to another set. He's the one that sort of like he laid out this route and I really can't imagine you choosing a different route. I mean, I made a couple changes and that's why I was able to beat cave dog, but for the most part, you're following his, the way he figured it out. And, uh, and so you have to follow those logistics and, you know, and, and now, you know, I don't know. I mean, anyway, I, I thought about that, that, that stat with me and Ricky and, and I have, I've been curious, you know, I was wondering, well, how fast could this go? You know, because those guys were pretty fast. I mean, I know one of those Ricks had won like the Pikes Peak Marathon, you know, so they, they were no slouches. And uh, and I remember some of their times were just ridiculous. You know, they'd get up and down on Compagre in, you know, an hour and a half, you know, and <laughs> so it was fast. And uh, but there's, you know, so, so then I imagine, well, I wonder what some of these, like if any of these ultra fast guys was interested in this record, then, you know, how fast could they do it, you know? And, and I don't know. I mean, certainly they could, you know, you know, if they were as fast as the Rickies and they use my sort of logistics. So there's a whole day you could take off the record right there. You know, <laughs> yeah. this is fantastic. I'm so glad we're talking. Oh. <laughs> you're bringing back, you know, this, this is great history. Uh-huh. This is mm. classic stuff. Rick uh-huh. and Ricky, they put it on the map before that. It was, it was pretty slow, pretty low key. It's like when Peter Backlund and I put the JMT at John Muir trail on the map. And then people got after it. Same with the Colorado Trail. Rick and Ricky put it on the map and then Cave Dog. Yeah, you're totally right. He came out here. He's not from Colorado. He spent an entire summer out here. He scouted. Like Rick and Ricky, they didn't scout. Forget it. They're not going to do that. <laughs> and he had a crew. Yeah. I mean, the Cave yeah. Dog crew, they were notorious. Mm-hmm. And they took care of him. He, he would get in the back of the truck. He would go to sleep. They'd drive him to the trailhead. They'd wake him up and say, go that way. But he already knew which way to go. And he wasn't super fast either, but he was he was good. I like what you said. He's the one who changed the style. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And actually, interestingly enough, if you compare his stats to mine, we actually had almost exactly the same time in terms of our hiking time in the end. And uh, so really, the only way I was able to beat Cave Dog it's funny. I beat him by about a day and that basically I beat him by a day in the Elks just because what he had never imagined was climbing, you know, pyramid, the bell, snowmass and capital is one big loop. And that saves a lot of time versus breaking up and doing capital and snowmass separate than pyramid and the bells. So it's pretty funny that in this giant effort, that's the only place I really beat him, you know, was right there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. This is great. I never knew that. I like it. This is so classic. So I hope the listeners are enjoying this as much as I am because they're getting an inside scoop in how these multi-day efforts work. It's logistics. In fact, I was with Rick and Ricky in their first one earlier in the Sawatch range, and I immediately thought, I'm going to go for the 14ers record. I'm looking at these guys and going, wow. <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> because there's two things. They did exactly what you said. They'd they just fire up there. I mean, they would just blaze this stuff. 
They'd come down into town, go to a Mexican food restaurant, chow down, and then go back up and do a couple more summits. It's like, really? Wouldn't it be easier to kind of stay high and go along the ridge? You know, maybe it's a long day, but descending all the way down to the valley is really inefficient. But the second thing, and maybe you can comment on this in relation to you and other people who've done it, is technically. Rick and Ricky were poor. They're fast runners, not good mountaineers. And so they didn't do many of the classic traverses, you know, Blanca Little Bear, you know, things like that. I was very good technically, so I thought I could take time off just by staying on the ridges. How do you relate to that? Well, for me, it's, uh, you know, it is funny because sometimes when I'll look at my traverse times where I go for, like, say I go for some traverse, you know, especially on the Centennials record, you know, where I was struggling. I mean, I was really struggling for, for a while, you know, uh, with injury, just so much stuff that happened. But, uh, but uh, where, I mean, I, I would often do a traverse and then the amount of time I'd be like, man, someone fast would have just shot up and gone back down, got driven around to the other trailhead, shot up, got down. And, you know, they, they could have been out faster than maybe it's taken me. But in general, I, I prefer to look for those great routes. Like, and, and part of it's a style thing. I mean, I think if you're going to be doing the 14, it's like, you, you got to do Little Bear Blanca. I mean, that's just classic, you know, and you got to do the Bells Traverse and you, you got to do all these great traverses. So, you know, and, and then at first I had this plan that skipped the Gash Ridge on Blanca, you know, and then, but that was bothering me, you know, so I ended up I ended up rerouting the whole day and I got to put in the gash ridge. And so I was really excited about that. Part of what excites me about a lot of these logistics is coming up with these routes that are more technical. I do enjoy that. And I just, I, for me, I feel like, you know, style points, you know, cause I don't want to just be blasting up. Um, you know, I'm not a trail runner, right? So to me, it's not as exciting. In fact, in fact, those are, man, if you want to talk about where do I really suffer it's like, man, you know, you get me off a of capital and now I have to hike eight miles out the trail. Oh, it just kills me. You know, I want to die. It just, they, those miles seem endless. You know, so these guys that go set like the Colorado trail record or these big trails, I just can't relate because those are the miles that just destroy me, you know? Yeah. Love it. So you come up. So for example, the so-called knife edge on capital, which technically actually is pretty reasonable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that hard, but so that part is fine for you. But you come down off that, like you say, it's eight miles off the trailhead and you're just dying. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and actually people will make fun of me like Andrea, she actually joined me for over 20 peaks on the, on this record. Uh, and, uh, and she, she'll get a little annoyed with me because if it's, you know, night and I'm kind of hurting, She's just like, why does he groan on every single step? <laughs> you know, and my sister just says, "Oh, he's just doing it for your benefit," you know. But, uh, but, but, yeah, it it is it is just something. I mean, I just always struggle with is those long hike outs, those like those, you know, ten mile approaches and stuff. That's really what I don't like. So, so yeah, for me, you know, I really do like to add in wherever I can these classic technical routes, and that was something that was really fun about the Centennials. Is there are some really cool connection routes, and a lot of them just are things you know. It's not you're gonna you're not gonna find it in any any route book. You know, you got to go out and just you got to scout it out and see if it goes on your own. You know, to right. see if some of these routes are gonna work. You're right, and it's a lot of Colorado. You know, I mean, it's, Colorado's fantastic, my home state. 
and yet there's some rock piles, if mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, you get down and say the Grenadiers and the San Juans, you know, Vestal, Pigeon, those aren't rock piles. Those got some nice, nice faces on them. So you start doing link-ups on those. And you're talking about some low fifth class if you want to take the quickest line. Absolutely. And, and like, so for example, you know, Vestal, Vestal is just a neat mountain. It has a ridge called the Wham Ridge, which is, it's, uh, as you mentioned, you mentioned the Grenadiers range. It's part of that range. And it's just, it's so unlike other things you see in Colorado. And, um, you know, you don't have to do that route. It's probably not, you know, the easiest. Well, it's, I don't know. Actually, a lot of people really hate the backside where you descend off of because it's like super steep and rock. You know, it's just loose rock and everything. But like, I just couldn't imagine doing it without doing the Wham Ridge. Just like probably my favorite route of, of all of them, you know. And uh, and so and it, like I said, it's it's something you'd see in another state. You know, it's just like this is ramped. It slowly ramps up until it's almost vertical and the rock is all solid what's amazing is, is here it is. It's, you know, it's, you know, reminiscent of like a flat iron, maybe, maybe it probably gets a little steeper than that near the top, but uh, you'll see these mountain goats running around up there too. And it's just, it's just so cool, you know? And, uh, and then, you know, after that, you've got jagged and, and uh, you know, so after Vestal, you got to go cross country, you know, I mean, there's no trail. There are some game trails you try to link up and some Karens here and there, you know, but, but you're going cross country and you get to jagged, which is, you know, the most remote, you know, centennial, you know, um, to get to. Usually it's a multi-day approach to get in there. And Jagged, I mean, that one terrorizes me now. Uh, you know, last year we took the kids and we were sort of doing our scouting trip in this area. And, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, the standard chimney that gets you to the top, a rock fell and plugged the chimney. And <laughs> so, so this is something like in Roach's description, you won't see. You know, he'll talk about these three cruxes. He doesn't mention this chimney because it wasn't blocked when he wrote his description. And so we got there with the kids and I'm looking at this chimney. It completely blocks. It's completely blocked. Now there's an overhanging boulder and I had no idea how to get around that thing, you know? And so uh, anyway, when we were there as the kids, I was, you know, freaking out because I'm worried about them falling off, you know, and stuff like that. And, and uh, I couldn't figure it out. I was, I was kind of going crazy and Andrea had figured out a way up there. But and uh, and then, you know, with the rope, we were all able to get up and make the summit. And so this time as I'm going into Jagged, I was nervous. Like, am I going to be able to do this? You know, I just wasn't 100 percent sure I was going to pull it off. But uh, but anyway, it turns out the way she found worked great. You know, there's a couple of just really good handholds in there. Um, but uh, but but anyway, like it, it's just uh, that mountain, that mountain is by to me now by far the hardest of the Centennials, you know, and it's uh-huh. way back there. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, you're linking, you know, back here and then from jagged, you got to go, like you mentioned, pigeon and turrets. And, uh, and those are actually, those ones aren't too bad. Technically pigeon has some amazing climbing routes on it, but, but the route I take kind of skirts and goes around all that. Um, but then from there I was kind of winging it, you know, you got to get to the Chicago basin 14ers and there's a few options. And I just went for one that I'd looked at and thought it might go, but if it hadn't gone, you know, I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> you know, it would have cost me at least a half a day, you know. So so anyway, I mean, yeah, so th- that's actually that section of the state. It's funny, you, you know, you brought up those peaks was uh, it's called the Weminuch Wilderness. And so that was one of the FKTs I submitted because for a long time, you know, ch- my friend Charlie and I and, and Andrea, we've looked at that. We've like, man, that would be an amazing link up. It's kind of like a cool Nolan's, you know, because. 
it's like no one's in, you know, there's a bunch, I think there's something like 10, 10 peaks, 10 peaks that are centennials down there and you link them up. And, uh, and these are, are not just walk up mountains. So I've heard that complaint about Nolan's as well. These are just easy, you know, Sawatch walk ups, which actually I, I love the Sawatch, you know, so I always defend the Sawatch, but, but, <laughs> but these are like technical mountains, you know, yes. these are technical. There's, you know, there's not necessarily trails, you know, you're, you're definitely making up your own stuff along the way. And there's, you know, so you gotta be a great scrambler. And, uh, and so we had always wanted to do that, do that route. And so that's why I submitted that route. I just think it's like a really like in, in Colorado on the high peaks, I don't think you can beat that link up other than the other one where you link up all the elks. So those okay. two, those two to me are the best routes in Colorado for, for linking up subsections of 14ers and, and, and you should know your opinion is highly valued. On yeah. that <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, actually one time I did go do the triumvirate, you know, uh, Wyndham Sunlight Eolus out of Chicago Basin. And I looked to the north and said, oh, that must be Arrow and Vestal there in the skyline. So I just did the same thing. I just went for it mm-hmm. and uh, just bagged those from the back. And actually, I agree with what you said a minute ago. I don't like the backside. They're uh-huh. steep and it's loose. Wham Ridge is super fun from my perspective. Have, have you ever done it? Did you ever get uh, a chance to go do it? I've done it about four times. Oh, great. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. No, Wham Ridge. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's to me, that's kind of my style a little uh-huh. bit. Yeah. And then I went back up to the top, uh, while I was passing, just hitchhiked back to the car at night, which was the hardest part, actually. Wow, that must have been an adventure. That sounds awesome. Right. Well, hitchhiking <laughs> at night, you, got, you, have to, you, you, you have to be psychically charming because <laughs> no one wants to pick you up. Yeah. Um, I like that. So we're going to... I should note for the listeners, go to on the website, andrewhamilton.com, go under Athletes, pull down your name, because right now we're talking to you on July 28th, and this route is so new, it hasn't even been approved yet. It's not on the website yet. But by pulling down your name, they're going to see these, presumably, these three new FKTs and two new routes. So one of them, of course, we're talking about is the highest 100 peaks, which you call the centennial, same thing. And then you just said, which is very interesting, the best link-ups are the Wiminooch, uh, what'd you call it? The Wiminooch, what's your second Oh, we word? call it the Wiminooch Wipeout. That's it. The Wiminooch Wipeout and then the, the, the Elk Traverse, right? Yeah. Well, so there's the Elk Traverse. When, when you say just Elk Traverse, that probably just refers to the 14ers. Right. But, but when you add in the centennials, even though there's only three of them up there, it takes that traverse to a whole new level. Gotcha. And I can explain why. Like, so, 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 so we call it the, cent- I mean, I couldn't think of a cool name. So it was like Centennial <laughs> Elk Traverse, you know, um, but, but the reason that one is so cool and that one, um, you know, yeah. So, so that one, again, no one else has done that one. Sometimes maybe these are too hard for, for most people, but they're, they're classic routes. You know I mean? They really are. And with the speed that people have done the, the regular Elk Traverse, you know, in, in uh, just the 14ers, they're definitely doable, you know, but the beautiful thing about that Centennial Elks Traverse is that you add, by adding a uh, cathedral, you add Thunder Pyramid and you add Hagerman. And, you know, and what that does is each of those adds a classic traverse, you know, and right. so you've already got the Bells Traverse, you know, but now you get cathedral to castle, which is awesome. And then you get Thunder Pyramid to Pyramid, 
which is basically to me, it's kind of feels like a super loose version of the maroon bells. One. <laughs> well, I was going to say you know, something yeah. about that. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you get Hagerman to Snowmass, which is That's awful. Good. Yeah, well, cool. it's cool, but it's super dangerous. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the first time I was going to do it, our our friend Kyle Knutson, he's kind of big on thirteeners and stuff. He he had recently just given a guy some information about it, and then the guy had gone and died on it. You know, mm-hmm. and 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 I know why that great. You know, when it's funny, you go from the maroon colored rock to the gray rock, and you're over on Hagerman Capital and Snowmass. That's Snowmass. So I'll tell you, that is one of my least favorite mountains. Like those rocks are just so loose. You know, and <laughs> you can step on a rock, and the whole ledge can give away. You know, so so I, you know, I guess you know I could see why you're like, oh, Hagerman the Snowmass is cool because it does have some actual real sort of climbing moves in there. But I'm just scared the whole time because I feel like, oh my gosh, you know, you know, which of these boulders is going to give away? Gotcha. Um, Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. I've looked oh, at that because oh, it's obviously oh, yeah. a classic climb. I've never tried it, yeah. never been on it. Oh, okay. And so you're not going to take a job as the PR person for the <laughs> uh, 14ers, apparently. Oh. But uh, I like it. So the uh, Wimanooch Wipeout, very cool name. But the other one, not such a cool name, but it's a cool <laughs> route. But then we go back to what we just said. You go down there in the Wimanooch, there's some granite down there. Wham Ridge actually is quartzite. So oh, is that right? Oh, I keep yeah. saying granite. So, of course. Well, that's why it's so okay. sharp. You see those sharp oh. edges? Mm. I mean, unlike most of Colorado, uh, the Colorado mountains, you, you got some edging in there. You got some really positive, those small holds. While you go, like you said, in the bells, whoa. I mean, it's just nutto. I mean, just north to south is sort of annoying. And if you go to Pyramid, I mean, Pyramid is choss pile. Mm. It's pretty, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I'll tell you. So, Thunder Pyramid. If you think Pyramid is bad, then <laughs> Thunder Pyramid is really bad. Um, which actually is is one of the beautiful things about traversing over from Castle. The way up Thunder Pyramid is just gorgeous on that side. But it's not oh. in any books. It's um, you know, Thunder Pyramid has a reputation of being really loose and kind of dangerous on the way up. Man, the other side, you just go straight up this avalanche path, which is grass and strawberries and mosquitoes. There was a lot of mosquitoes. <laughs> And, uh, and eventually you sort of come up underneath this uh, mountain called Lightning Pyramid and then sort of traverse over. It's a beautiful route, you know, so I actually really like that way. But that traverse, ah, man, I do not like that traverse actually has this big notch in it. And I've never nailed the route out of there. I go a different way every time and it's always kind of sucky, you know. This uh, is good, getting the yeah. inside scoop oh, on how yeah. someone like you thinks. Yeah. It's these uh-huh. nuances, is learning the roots. The fastest guy can't necessarily do what you're doing. You have to really understand this. You have to learn it. And as you just said a while back, you have to be willing to go out there alone at night and suffer a little bit, which is different. I mean, being up there at that elevation, those places alone at night, to me, is alarming. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see, you know, so for me, you know, it doesn't, I don't feel too bothered being alone. Um, you know, I think the thing that bothers me most, well, you know, looking back to the 14 Tina record, uh, the way I've kind of described it to people is like now looking back on it, it feels like it was this well choreographed, like dance or ballet or something. It was like, I had this plan on an Excel spreadsheet and we stuck to that plan. I was always within minutes of my times. We had, you know, granted, we had super dramatic moments. You know, we had monsoons. We had a landslides. You know, we had all kinds of stuff. But it, it all seems like it was just part of the plan. You know, it all just worked out, you know. And, and you know, that plan was just perfect. And whereas, 
you know, the Centennials this time was more like, um, it was more like the saying the you know, a, a battle plan never survives first contact with the enemy. It was like before we even got started, you know, we've got crap happening here and here and the plan gets ripped up and, th- and thrown away. Um, and so, you know, it's always dealing with issues, but, but in that 14er record, you know, it was just like the way, you know, in the nights there would be one easy hike, you know, and you'd get it done to schedule, you'd get and then you'd move on. Whereas this time it was like, you know, I was bumbling around in the darkness. I got so sick of this where I'd, I'd have a route, you know, and maybe I've done it before, but you know, a lot of times, like I said, when we were scouting, we were bringing kids along. So I didn't really have an accurate um, idea of the amount of time it would take, you know? So what would be really frustrating for me is I, you know, it would take hours longer than I thought for some unknown reason. And then I'm bumbling around out there. And so that's the part that really bothered me more than being alone. Cause I've been on all of them alone and, and in whiteouts and stuff like that, you know, but, um, but what this time I really felt like I was just bumbling around the dark list. Like the minute it would get dark, I'd, my eyes would get heavy and sleepy and I would just want to lay down and grab five minute naps and more five minute naps over and over. And then, you know, you start, you know, you start worrying a little, like, you know, now if I'm on like class four and I'm that tired, that's where I get scared. It, it just takes, you know, one little mistake and something like that. And now you could be injured or something like that, you know? So that's, that's what scares me. I actually like, you know, uh, I, I listen to a lot of audio books when I'm out there. And so it's great. You know, a, a lot of times I'll, I, I, you know, when I'm out there, I'm just listening to the audio book or the story. And, and, uh, what's kind of cool is I could really associate now in my memory, some of these long nights with the book, for example, like on half peak, which I ended up bush spending the whole night bushwhacking on. I was listening to the story called unbroken, which is a great story of this. Uh, uh maybe, you know, unbroken, it was like this, uh, you know, fighter pilot from World War II where their plane crashed and they got in a raft and they survived for like a month in the raft and then they got captured by the Japanese. And so now I can picture everywhere I was in the night, you know, I can picture where I was in the book too. Your brain has like this cr- cross-referencing, I think it does. So so that's kind of kind of neat. So, so yeah, so I, I, I don't mind being out there alone. I enjoy listening to my stories, but but yeah, it does add this level of like, danger when you're super tired and you're in you know bad conditions and i will say one other thing i realized on this attempt you know you were talking about my technology in the old days you know i didn't used to have like a you know a dps you know where i could check my position it was all about route knowledge or i remember getting caught in whiteouts and having to sit down and and waiting for a break in the clouds and then i'd see the north star and then i'd know where to go no, <laughs> this time. No, wait, 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 wait. Yes. Is this true? So you oh, sit yeah. down. You're out there, yeah, <laughs> alone up in the high peaks. You wait for the break in the crowds. You see Polaris. Say, okay, that way's north. Then you would know which way to go. Well, that is a true story, and that was from 1999. <laughs> you know, when I was in the San Juans, I actually got lost trying to get from Red Cloud to Sunshine because it was one of these. You know, there's a huge trail. Like it's a great ridge. How do you get lost going from Red Cloud to Sunshine? Well, it was a massive whiteout. And so, you know, you, you lose the trail and I, you think you're on a ridge, but you're actually descending the face. And so <laughs> pretty soon I'm like, this isn't right. And so I, I did. I remember I was sitting down there and I did have a cell phone. I remember calling my sister and like being like, hey, I'm lost out here. You know, I don't know what to do. 
And I sat there and then, yeah, there was a, a, an opening in the clouds and there was the North Star. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going, I'm going east off of Red Cloud. I'm not going south towards sunshine. And that got me back on track. You know, okay, and uh, yeah, so. wow, these are stories from the front. <laughs> yeah. So, folks, listening to this, uh, what's the, what conclusions can we draw? We can say, well, I guess if he can do that, I can do it too. Is that one conclusion? Or you could say, wow, this guy is super tough. I don't think I can do that. So, people can draw their own conclusions listening to these war stories. It's true. I've told people I probably have a story like that on every single 14er, you know, because at this point I've done all the 14ers between 10 and 20 times at least. And uh, a lot of those earlier years, you know, we didn't have such great weather forecasting, you know, so you'd go out there and uh, and you would hit every form of weather on the peaks. Um, but now, you know, now it's great. You know, I've got my tracker, you know, you've always got your tracker on and that's basically, you know, connects to your phone. And so using my phone, you know, there's just no excuse for really getting lost. Well, I mean, lost, lost. It's easy to like make a small mistake. You get off for 10, 20 minutes. But if you get lost, lost, that's just because you're dumb and you're not looking at your phone. But I, <laughs> but I did realize, I did realize like, so for example, my very first night on the Centennials record, I was caught in a, I mean, it felt like winter conditions sort of blizzard. It, it was rough. And, um, and I was too, my hands were frozen. And so I didn't want to be getting my phone out, you know, um, and and so I did, but I, I I had to. So my hands were just completely frozen. But I was I was checking it because it was a whiteout again as usual, and somehow, again, I'm on a ridge, but my I keep trying to veer off onto these little sub ridges, you know, and you just don't realize it. It looks like the way to go, and uh, you check, and it's like, oh my gosh, I've like I've been going the wrong way for 15 minutes, you know, and so you got to get back on course and. That night, I realized, I mean, if my phone, say I dropped it and it broke or the battery died, I would have been totally screwed. I would have had, I mean, there's no way I would have made it, you know? And uh, and so that that was, and in multiple places, I'm really, you know, really lucky, you know, I didn't drop my phone or something. That would have been bad news, you know? Interesting. Let's, for the listeners who want to know how to do this, let's dive into this just a little bit. So when Peter and I are doing this, we load a route, we design a route, we can hand draw a route in CalTopo. And we export that GPX file into, the, into Gaia, and we just follow the little blue dot, which is us, on the little line in Gaia. So what do you use? Do you plot the route in advance, or do you just look on the little blue dot on the phone? Um, you know, for the most part, you know, just normal usage, I, uh, I, I use, uh, well, Earthmate because it's the app that sort of ties to my tracker. So I think probably Gaia with CalTopo, like you're talking about, probably has slightly better mapping features than Earthmate does. It's not the best, I don't, I don't think. But what I do love about it is even if Earthmate is, you know, just kind of like Gaia, if it's not connected to my tracker, then when I turn it on, it still shows me on the map, you know? And that's basically half the battle. Like in the old days, right. navigation was like, hey, you got to like take a bearing, get your altitude. <laughs> you need two things in order to put you on the map, right? And right. Uh, But now that is not a problem anymore, you know? And, uh, but I will say, you know, you know, for people that are sort of growing up and they've got this technology, yeah. I mean, what happens when the phone is broken? You know, th you know, th and that can be a problem. You know, so you always want to make sure you have, you know, I guess an extra battery, stuff like that, if you're totally relying on that technology. But I do, um, like, so for this Centennials record, 
anything to do with the 14ers, I got memorized. You know, I mean, I've done these <laughs> so many times. I don't really have issues there. Although I will say I had trouble on capital this year. Um, for some reason, after the Knife Edge Ridge, I just couldn't find the Karens. And so I, I was remember just standing around, like shining my light all over the mountain. Like, where's the next Karen? Like, it was super annoying. So it took me forever. But generally speaking, I don't really need anything on the 14ers. But on all these 13ers, it's, it's uh, you know, it's brand new territory. I mean, I, I, I had done most of them at least once, but a lot of times it wasn't the same route, you know, and stuff like that. So there was a lot of places where, where I, I did, just like you said, I'd go in and I'd sort of draw in a route. Or even better is when I have scouted a, a route I'm going to use using my tracker, I've now got the exact track on my phone. You know, so I, I will have an exact track of where I've gone before. That's the best. You know, you design that. In, you do that in Earthmate. Well, in Earthmate, you know, whenever you're, uh, you know, hiking and you've got your tracker on, it actually, you know, it shows your little breadcrumbs and it it, it remembers your route. Oh, and you save so, it then. Yeah. Although, you know, I'm not sure how it happens because on my phone, it sort of just automatically saves it. It saves those oh. tracks. And so when I, if like, so for example, if I did longs tomorrow. And it remembered my route. If I did lungs in a couple of weeks, that would still be on my phone, my exact breadcrumbed route. You know? ah, and, that's, and that's in Earthmate, Garmin's Earthmate. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's okay. that's super nice when you've got that route. Um, it is you know, the, little, the little blue dot is very assuring. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, you know, like I was saying, <laughs> you know, like in adventure racing and stuff, you know, when it's all about navigation, man, if you just had something that would just show you where you were on the map, I mean, ah, that'd be a piece of cake. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Actually, we did meet an adventure race. We met at that adventure race in Fruta, if you recall. Oh, right. Oh, and Lake Powell. Remember when we were oh, all Lake, on the road oh, oh, together? God, Lake yeah, or oh, that man. was it. Oh, yeah. No, we don't <laughs> want to remember Lake Powell, do we? <laughs> <laughs> right, that was brutal. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, but uh, wow, that's a that's an alleyway we don't want to go into right now. But suffice to say, you can't do that in adventure racing. They said you have to use UTM coordinates. You have to have a map. You have to have the company. You have to have these little glassine pieces of plastic where you overlay it on the map and figure out where you are. So it's a whole different thing to make it more difficult, frankly. Okay, here's a question. Speaking of navigation, have you ever thought of doing Barkley? Barkley is a thing. A lot of people like to go do it. And of course, no GPS phones allowed there. I, I have thought about Barkley. Um, you know, I, I know Cave Dog, after he did the 14ers, he went and he set the course record there. And, uh, you know, and now the course record is held by Brett Monty. And he had he tried the 14er record a few times, you know, and he always ran into issues. Um, you know, like around day four ish. Um, but I'll tell you, he was fast. And right. I remember one of the, one of the, like the first time he did it, you know, after day four, he was 11 hours ahead of my pace, you know, so he was moving. Um, and he's got the current course record there. So I guess there is, you know, uh, some overlap in the skills of, you know, being able to climb the 14ers fast and maybe going over there and succeed. Um, I don't know if it fits my exact skills. Um, you know, I do like the navigation. Um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, in adventure races, whenever, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I've never done as well when I've, I've left the high mountains, you know, you know, we go back East, you know, your, your lower elevations in the trees. Um, but I have thought about that. I think that'd be pretty cool, but you know, I am not good at taking care of like tasks that are a pain in the ass. And I've just heard that like trying to get into, it's kind of a pain. 
And, uh, and so I don't know if that's, you know, I mean, I guess you, know, you got to find someone who's done it and then, you know, when to submit your application. And so I don't know, that's always sounded like kind of complicated. So, uh, you know, but if, if, you know, that would be fun, that would be a fun thing to train for, you know, for sure. Okay. All right. So you got some life, you got plenty of life. You know, this is something I was going to comment on because of course we're recording audio, but we see video to stay in touch and dang, you look good. You, you haven't aged. What's, what's up here? Um, and you, your kids, you, I remember you had these little toddlers. They're not toddlers anymore. So people can go on the show notes, look at your bio. We'll have your family listed there. How old are your sons now? Uh, well, the oldest one is uh, just about to turn 18 and he's heading off to college this year. So, so that's, uh, you know, that, that's a big deal, I guess, a life step when the kids start moving out of the nest. Um, and then my second son, uh, Axel, he's, uh, he's 14. And then I've got uh, 11 and a nine-year-old. So and, um, 11 and a what? 11-year-old and a nine-year-old. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a good spread for, for, wow. Good job. And you, you, you look like you're the oldest son, Andrew. So, uh, congratulations. <laughs> oh, well, I, I appreciate that. I, I feel like I'm, I'm getting older, but, but, you know, I remember, I, I kind of think of like my dad, you know, I've got kind of similar, um, you know, body style as my dad and, and stuff like that. And he was pretty athletic and I still remember he was doing bike racing. He, he liked to do road racing. Yeah, uh, when he was my age, like sort of in his forties and into his fifties, and I still remember every year as he got older, he kept saying, ah, "I feel strongest I've ever felt, strongest I've ever felt." So he was getting stronger until you know when he was fifty-three, he did get in this nasty bike crash and he broke his femur bone, and that was kind of the end of his sort of like racing days and stuff like that. But up until that point, every year he felt like he was getting stronger. So you know, I'm forty-six now. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, I guess there's no reason why if I keep training that I can't also just keep getting, you know, well, staying fit and getting stronger. In fact, I've got this streak going and it's like, I'm always, you know, the streak must survive every day. And so, so for like about two and a half years, I haven't missed a single day of working out. And, uh, you know, I, I will say I do have a couple cheat workouts in there. Like they're sort of like these 30 minutes, sort of like stretching, you know, sort of like videos, you know, something like that. But it's hard to do that every single day, you know, even after the centennial thing, no days off, you know, I mean, I still had, you know, a recovery workout and then I'm on my bicycle downstairs, you know, spinning for an hour. So I'm just trying to keep the base, you know, a solid base so I can just go out and, and, and do stuff, you know, and, and not get out of shape completely. You know, in the old days, I used to yo-yo a lot more. You know, you do something big and then literally do nothing for two months. And then it was like, you lose all that fitness that you gained and then you got to sort of start over, right? So yeah, once you get to be age 40, off the couch, it doesn't work at all. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so anyway, yeah, anyway. So, so hopefully I, I can always ask. What's next? I mean, you've upped the ante here. I mean, dang, again, people should go to the website, put your name in, see uh, your past FKTs here, which currently stand at uh, 10. A few more to be added here very shortly. So what's next? You just did the highest 100 over the span of 22 days. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you did, of course, the Colorado 14ers in winter which was nuts, but you didn't really do that for speed. Exactly. You kind of wanted to be continuous with that. 
So actually, let me back up for a second. Before we go with the next, suddenly some, a thought hit me. What's the hardest project you've done? I suddenly dawned on me. The Colorado yeah. 14ers in winter. Mm, was that harder than what you just did? Or what do you think? Or maybe some yeah. of your, one of your Nolans where you're just going nonstop. Yeah, well, it's, you know, Nolan's is sort of a different sort of ball game. It's so much smaller in terms of time, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, so that one is definitely in a different ball game than these big records, like the 14ers records, you know, where it, it takes, you know, weeks or, you know, the, the, the winter one where I spent the whole winter working on that. Um, you know, so, um, but, but yeah, looking like, like, so you're, you're asking like, so what are the, the biggest? Yeah. So, you know, although I will say with Nolan's, even though it's shorter, you know, the thing about Nolan's is you never hop in a car and get a ride where you can take a little break. Right. And so you do have like these days where there's, you know, you don't stop. And, uh, you know, so, so, so those are, those can be difficult, although it's, it's, it's kind of like, man, now the Nolan's record is down to 41 hours, which I'll tell you when I set the unsupported record at like 53 hours, I don't think I stopped a single time, you know, except to go to the bathroom. So it blows my mind that Joey, who's got the record now, you know, you know, that he did it and he did it 12 hours faster <laughs> just by moving time alone. You know, that, that kind of blows my mind, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so Nolan's is, is getting a little ridiculously fast for me. You know, I just can't move that fast, but, um, you know, and then looking back at like the, the winter record, like that was, I mean, that was an amazing, uh, project that, um, you know, I, I don't know if a lot of people appreciate that one as much as, as maybe they, they, they should now granted the one thing I did get was really lucky and that I had like a historically low snow year. So that saved you know, in, in terms of some of the approaches I had to do, it saved a lot of effort. You know, I was able to drive a lot further than you are in like normal winters in order to some of these trailheads, but, but, uh, you know, and so, so that did save a lot of effort. However, I mean, I was solo almost the entire time. So it's not like there was ever anyone there to break trail for me. I was always on my own and the, the, the wind stream like parked itself in Colorado that year. <laughs> so it was, for me, it was this battle against these winds like 80 mile an hour winds, 70 mile an hour winds just week after week. And so that's what I kind of associate with winter is just battling these icy cold winds on mountain ridges, you know. Um, but uh, but that was more of a, you know, I had my kids, you know, I'm divorced. And so I get the kids every other week. And so I, I you know, I couldn't leave on the weeks when I had the kids, you know. And so I basically had half the winter to work with. And, you know, so if you calculate it out, that's like six weeks. And then I needed a day of driving on each end. In the end, I had something like 26 days of actual hiking time to climb all the 14ers in winter. And so there was no taking a day off. If I had a day, I climbed, you know, so and no matter what the weather was, I was out there. So I, um, you know, so and that was difficult. So, you know, and uh, to, to pull off. So that I look back and every single one of those weeks was just brutal when I was out there, just absolutely brutal. And, and before I did that record, I had never climbed a peak, uh, a 14 or in winter before, like, you know, that was the fir first one was the first one I started with, you know? So, um, so I was kind of coming, I was a little, um, you know, inexperienced and stuff. Um, but so that was, but that was different, like you said, because it wasn't one continuous thing. It was like, I'd had a week on and a week off and a week on and a week off. So it, even though every week was tough, you know, I'd come back and recover, you know, it, it was just a completely different kind of 
feeling to it. Um, and then I look back and I look back at when I did the, the 14ers via bicycle, as you mentioned, in 2003. And, uh, and that was hard. I mean, that was really hard. I mean, you know, no one's done it in that style. You know, people have done it via bicycle, um, you know, but they've done it self-supported. And whereas I had a crew, um, you know, so I was able to do a lot faster. Um, and, uh, and so, but that was a perfect, I mean, I had 20 days of perfect weather. I didn't get a single raindrop on me after the first day, you know? And so it was just that everything went so well in that one, you know? And, uh, you know, so, and I look back and I finished, I was so strong when I finished. Cause you know, you're switching from biking to hiking and your body responds well to like that going back, you know, to different, you know, different, uh, exer- types of exercising. And uh, so that one, I feel like, wasn't the hardest thing I ever did. Um, I mean, really, this may have been the hardest thing I've ever done with this Centennials record, just because it was it started and there were so many obstacles to overcome. You know, at one point, um, you know, a little more than halfway done, I I crashed on my mountain bike. You know, um, you know, it was this big hell storm had just hit in the Crestones. And, uh, and so I, you know, made it down. I was completely soaked after being in this hailstorm and, and I got to my bike and it's, and, and it's great to have your bike there. Cause you can sail down the South Colony Lakes road. And, uh, and then I, I just crashed really hard, uh, coming down there and I injured my calf muscle. So the, it was one of these deals where I think it just got hit really hard by the pedal. And if you flexed it at all, it would seize up on me. And, uh, and so then I had to coast down if, if you, you know, I couldn't pedal because even one revolution would cause the muscle to start seizing up. And so I got down to the car and, you know, I was just laying on the ground, you know, moaning to Andrea, oh my God, my leg, you know, what have I done? And, and, uh, it just so happened we had planned a hotel that night because we had done a hotel earlier in the thing and it was amazing to get clean. I've never tried that before, unbelievably. (laughs) And I was like, wow, it's so great. You get clean. And, uh, and so, but anyway, so I went in, I laid in the hot tub and then, um, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe this seizing up problem, maybe it's like a Charlie horse thing. And so maybe I should get a bunch more electrolytes in my system. So I drank a punk, bunch of uh, pickle juice and ate some pickles, but then, you know, cause I've heard that that's a good solution, you know, for that, but then it made me super nauseous. And then I ended up throwing up all over myself and to get, get, you know, super nauseous. And then I was nauseous for a couple of days and you know, I just, I was super weak because I couldn't eat any food. And with the calf muscle, like, what what am I going to do that day, you know? And so we decided, well, let's just drive up to Pikes and let's just try to work it on Pikes because Pikes is like super good trail, you know? And so we went to Pikes to sort of see how, you know, am I going to be able to survive this? And so I remember Pikes just being this a horrible climb. It just seemed like forever my, you know, my calf muscle was a problem and, um, and, you know, it could have been very different. It, I, I mean, somehow, even though that was such a horrible hike for me in my memory, by the time we got down, we sort of worked it out. So it was like one of those times where, you know, maybe you roll your ankle when you're playing basketball. And if you keep running around on it, it's fine. Whereas if you just stopped, it might be sore for weeks. I don't know if you've ever had injuries like that. But it, but it was like, so by the end of the day, we'd sort of worked that out. But that could have been the end. You know, in fact, you know... Um, you know, but, but we were able to keep going, although the next day I was super weak as I did the Blanca group, you know, um, but, but even on day one, you know, in that blizzard, I was ready to quit because the weather forecast was another week of like these, like, like blizzards every night. And so we actually, we, 
I put my tail between my legs and we ran from the San Juans because the thought of going and doing jagged and Vestal with snow on them, like, no, thank you. You know, so we headed up towards the Sawatch and we dealt with snow there while we were hoping for better weather. And at that point, the whole plan was ripped up and we were just winging it. We were just going day by day. I had no idea how many days I'd gone or how many mountains we'd done. It was just like we'd get our weather report. Actually, Chris Tomer, you know, the he's a mountain weather forecast guy. He was giving us forecasts every day. And so we'd be like, you know, we we're in the Sawatch and it's like, oh, well, here's our window to go get the Elks. So drop everything. We went over to the Elks, get the Elks. And then he's like, okay, you know, now's your chance to get the song grazer. Now's your chance to go to the San Juans. So we were really just winging it. And, and uh, man, I'll just tell you, you know, uh, you know, a lot of these days I'd had planned that, you know, I was, I was just hurting, you know, that first day in the snow, all my tendons were hurting. And so I was moving slow. And so all these great days I'd planned were running too long. I was taken all night long you know, finishing at six o'clock in the morning and now I need some sleep, but now it's prime hiking hours, you know? And so just to keep going day after day after day, this is, I mean, I've done a lot of hard things, but, but this was, I mean, it's up there, you know, it's definitely up there as one of the hardest and especially with the amount of time, you know, taking 22 days and then to okay. somehow okay. To recover from all this, you know, and finish and have my best day at the end. You know, that was just, it was great. That was great. Yeah, (laughs) I'm getting mixed messages here. So listeners are trying to decide. Okay, they're getting mixed messages too. They're thinking, well, he's just drank a quart of pickle juice. Not sure if that was very smart. So I guess I can improve upon that. But then they're saying, wow, he perseveres through everything. I don't think I really got that. So it's uh, interesting. We'll see what happens. We'll see if anyone else wants to have a go at this. But they certainly should listen to this description before making up their mind. And they could say, wow, I don't think I want to go anywhere near that. Or who knows what they'll say. So hopefully people make some comments. But definitely uh, look at the show notes. We'll have your bio there. We'll have some links there. And go to the website. Look up your whole gig there. Wow. It's uh, hmm, hmm. This could be another FKT of the year nomination. We'll, we'll see. I'm not the judge of that. And I'll go back to my final question. If you know the answer, what is next? Um, you know, I don't have uh, anything really big planned next. You know, the 14ers are, they're getting tougher. There's, um, you know, there's new rules in place for like, you know, um, Quandary now is going to have some sort of shuttle system. And, uh, you know, the Maroon Bells, it's really difficult to get up there now. You know, so there's a lot of obstacles that, um, oh yeah, new parking rules on Tories and Grace. You know, it, you know they're not going to allow you to just to line up a mile of cars now down the road. You're going to have to hike at the bottom or start at the bottom if you can't get a spot up there at the parking lot. So, you know, they're just so crowded. It's it's h- hard to think about that. Although, you know, with Andrea, you know, Andrea is kind of like you know we do lots of stuff together, and we had this idea of doing like a self-supported like 74 ers thing. You know, that'd be really fun. You know, you know, where you because, you know, there hasn't really been a a really solid attempt made at doing all the 14ers in the lower 48 states since that was sort of established years and years ago, you know, and and uh, so that would be a neat record to do. And we thought about doing it self-supported just because we feel bad about asking people to help support, you know, on something like that. It's just, you know, it's a lot to ask of people. So that would be something that was cool. But but I'm not really sure at this point, you know, um. You know, Chris Tomer mentioned, I was like, hey, you know, you've got all these experience hiking mountains in other states, you know, 
And he suggested, hey, go try some stuff in the Wind Rivers. You'd love that. And so, yeah, you, we might go spend some time up there. Um, you know, so I don't know. This has been, you know, what I've been sort of gearing toward for five years. And so, you know, now that it's done, it's like, yeah, I'm not really sure. I might just sort of be, you know, just sort of wandering around looking for the next big thing for a while, you know? Yeah. <laughs> five years. That's Olympics. That, that's, oh, the, yeah. that's the Olympic cycle. So congratulations. Eric Gilbertson has been on this podcast and was also an FKT of the year award nominee last year. He of course was a, you know, did the Wyoming 13s. Wyoming 13s went untouched forever. It was just, to me, it was shocking because everyone, everyone was getting after the Colorado 14ers and the New Hampshire 4s, oh, but the Montana 12s were relatively untouched and the Wyoming 13ers, because they would be good for you because they're, they're, everyone's way in there. These aren't like Colorado where you drive up to the base and, you know, mm. eat a nice dinner and fire on up. You got to go in and you have a number of days in on the Wyoming 13 or so. I would think that would be a good possibility, oh, that's but there's a little, te- there's some te- technicality there though. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. I'm glad you mentioned that. I didn't even know that was really a thing. So that's, that'd be fun to look at for sure. Yeah. yeah Peter, look, and I, like, Peter and I put it on the map once a number of uh-huh. years ago, but we were uh-huh. too lazy. Unlike you, we didn't feel like doing it. So uh-huh. oh. <laughs> it's finally been, yeah. been done in, in a reasonable style. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, and, and I have, I've spent, you know, actually one of my next goals, actually, now that we, we talk about it is I've climbed all the 14ers, I think a total of about 800 times. It's kind of, it's kind of an estimate because I didn't used to keep track of it. So I know it's an underestimate, you know, it's definitely like a confirmed about 800. And so I thought, well, it'd be cool to get to up to a thousand, you know, that like that. So that's sort of a, a goal, you know, like a life goal. Right. But, um, but I have wanted to branch out to some other States or, you know, do some trips in, in other countries and stuff. And, and, uh, so, yeah, I think I'm really glad you mentioned that. Cause yeah, I'll start, I'll start looking around some of these other States, you know, I'm from Utah, you know, there might be some cool link ups to do in Utah too. Um, right. that's a neat state. So, right. uh, yeah. So anyway, there's a lot of stuff out there. It is kind of sad to me, you know, the 14ers get all the hype. And when I did right. the 14er record, you know, thousands of people are following and, and are following along and interested in, and I noticed this when Justin Simone first did the Centennials by bike, it's like, here, this guy's out there doing, I mean, these great mountains and nobody cares because it's not the 14ers, you know, and that's, you know, same, so same thing for me that, you know, it just doesn't generate the excitement, even though these are amazing mountains and, and the routes and they're so rugged. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was, it was, it was a great experience doing this for sure. But, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to start looking around at some of these other States cause it is time for me to branch out, you know, and do something other than just 14ers all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I love it, Andrew. This has been so fun. So fun seeing and talking with you again. And uh, people should definitely go on the website because your trip report, which hasn't been published yet, but it will be by the time this podcast is released, is this is what 2000 word trip report. This is a, uh, a solid article, but you have really good information in here. So I encourage people to go and look at the trip report. I, we can't get into it, but it's the 3000 rule, 3000 foot rule and the snow that you encountered and really working out the logistics. You provide people with an excellent behind the scenes survey of what this actually feels like to do one of these multi-day projects. So thank you for taking the time to write this up. 
Sure. And and unfortunately for me, that's like my short version because when I tell stories, it just goes on and on. So that was like a seven page Word document. And I feel like I barely scratched the surface, you know, so I'm glad I got that out there because like, you know, in 2015, I meant to do this with the 14er record, um, but I never really got around to it just because, you know, like the year before I had tried the 14er record and failed. And when I was writing the story about that failed attempt, it was taking me longer to write the story than it took me to climb the peaks. Like, it took me like <laughs> 10 days to write the story. So I'm too wordy. And so I was really trying to like not go into as much detail about all the suffering that I went through. But, um, but you know, I, I tried to give, you know, a good ballpark and I go into detail on a couple of the nights, you know. And uh, yeah, so tried. It. But anyway, I'm really glad I did that. So I'm really glad. So are we. Thank you again for your time. Congratulations on the highest 100. Well done. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that.